This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It's coming up to two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And my name's Dr Beach. How are you, Dr Beach? I'm very well. Very good. Et toi? Oh, uh, très bien. Merci. That's all. That's, I don't know any more French. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Fabulous as always. On his own this morning. Nice and peaceful. It is very peaceful with Tim and that beautiful music he was playing as we um Walked into the green room. It was uh, it was wonderful. He had Ella Hooper in last week, Doctor Beach, uh-huh. and Jack Charles the week before. I believe you were here. I, I, I had I, I had the very great pleasure, privilege to to yak with Uncle Jack. Yeah, Rob Hurst in yesterday. They're they're all lining up, all lining up to come in and liaise with Tim. He's the man of the moment. He's been the man of the moment for a long time. <laughs> yes, yes, for very good reason too. Mm-hmm. We have a, uh, a jam-packed show today. We're shortly going to be joined in studio by Neil Blake, our very own baykeeper. He's coming in to talk about uh, some um, surveying that he's been doing along with his uh, band of merry volunteers, mm-hmm. looking at um, what sits underneath the sand uh, along our coastline. So looking specifically at um, particular bivalves and with an idea of getting a sense of how they may or may not be impacted by our use of um, the marine environment, just our daily practice as well. So stuff that lives just underneath the sand, would that be called sub It could be, or it could be called um, benthic infauna. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So we're going to talk to Neil and he's got um, a species in particular. He's focusing on the life cycle and he's looking for um, maybe a, a, a bivalve expert who might know about this. So we're going to ask him about that. A malacologist. Yes. And I can see Neil behind oh. your head in the green room resplendent in his magnificent beard. Excellent. That's no, all good, Kent. Kent's wondering. <laughs> We've kind of suddenly dropped up. It's all good. Stand down. <laughs> 
So we're going to be talking to Neil about that. Also, the recent Coast to Coast conference mm-hmm. uh, at the MCG and um, his, his report back on the Coast to Coast conference. From the perspective of somebody who does a lot of community work, so I'm really interesting, uh, interested to hear what Neil has to say. Um, and also, um, Jeff Westcott was in a couple of weeks ago talking about the Marine Coastal Act development. So Neil's going to have a chat about that. He was indeed. Also. Anthony and I had a nice chat with... Um Jeffrey, so Neil is coming in from again from the perspective of a, uh, a very uh, prominent community advocate uh, in terms of the consultation process and, and his take on it all. So it'll be, it'll be good. Yeah, as listeners might remember, a couple of weeks ago, Jeff said that people who are interested, the people, the key stakeholders, which is anyone, it's people out there like you listening who have an interest in the marine environment, should make their submission to the review. So. We, um, Neil will remind people of how to do that. Well, I'm yes, and, and also uh, how Baykeepers is planning to contribute to that process as well. Yeah. Um, excellent. Then we're going to cross, actually, to not to Blegarry, but to Mackay to speak with AJ, uh, who we've been catching up with um, pretty regularly about the Blegarry Sponge Project. Oh, okay, and, AJ again. Yes, so we're going to find out how that's been going. We haven't spoken with him since um, first week of Radiothon, mm-hmm. so we'll catch up with uh, with AJ on that. Just a reminder, actually, while I'm mentioning that, tw- Wednesday, 28th of September, fi- before 5 p.m., you need to uh, cough up. Ten you, days you have. If you haven't already done so. And you can subscribe now and still be in the line for the prizes. Yes. Although don't, maybe don't ring. Oh, no. Well, not right now, but we can get on the, you know, on the, on the web. Do it any way you like. You Use your phone, your mobile device, whatever computer you have That's near it. you. And you'll still be in the running for all the prizes except for the daily prizes, but there's a lot of prizes up for grabs. Um, we are then, this is very exciting, we're going to be crossing to, um, as long as the, the phone gremlins don't jump in the way, <laughs> crossing to Santa Monica uh, in California where it is currently 4.30, Saturday, well, it will be 4.30 Saturday afternoon. In fact, it's 4.05 Saturday afternoon to speak with Daniel Heinefeld, who is a director and producer, one of two, of um, an amazing documentary which is going to screen as part of the Environmental Film Festival Australia. It used to be Melbourne. It's now Australia. They've gone national. Called Sonic Sea. And this documentary goes for about an hour, is uh, a exploration, I suppose, of the impact of human-made sound, predominantly shipping, seismic testing and sonar, on the animals that live under the water, and particularly we're talking about whales and dolphins, which is where this documentary focuses, uh, and some of the, you know, in, in many cases, catastrophic impacts of these enormous kind of sounds on animals that rely on sound and rely on hearing for their daily existence. Indeed, an interesting movie. We've both had a chance to watch it, and we're looking forward to, um, to talking to, to Daniel. Indeed. About this and asking him a few questions. But it's... Um, I found it quite disturbing. I did too. Very powerful documentary. Mm. Mm. We have, we've got lots of questions between us. It's going to be interesting. And then to wrap up the show, we're going to... I'm, I'm going to stick with California a little bit. So, Bron just said we're going to talk to somebody in Santa Monica in California. I'm going to talk about The Blob, which was a... Um, between Finished about a year ago. Well, it's, it might still be going, but anyway, it's a big blob of hot climate that has been off the coast of or the west coast of the US, so off the coast of California, and it sat there on the surface of the sea for a couple of years. And this is actually driven by a... I, I hadn't heard about it, but it was an article which has appeared in the most recent National Geographic, which I opened up the other night, and I thought, this is fascinating. I've never heard of this. And mm. some of our listeners might have. Indeed, they might have even read Nat Geo, the most recent one. Don't often sort of talk about an article that's in Nat Geo. We 
rather go to the directly to the literature but this is i've got to admit uh, this one passed me by until i opened the latest edition in actually and it's a fascinating thing excellent again very disturbing and perhaps a portent of what is going to happen with climate change the many many deaths of marine animals that have been attributed to this climatic event i'm looking forward to hearing about it because it's all news to me so i'm looking forward to being educated dr beach <laughs> as i always do and one, one of the really kind of cute i guess for us things that they think has driven this blob is a thing called the ridiculously resilient ridge which is um going under the moniker of triple r right of course they reckon that triple r has driven the blob <laughs> it's not <laughs> our fault there's a headline for you hey uh speaking about educating us would you care to educate us all about the weather and what it's going to do today and then over the next seven days i can do that with the help of the sunday age um 12 to 15 degrees today cloudy very high in fact 90 percent chance of rain most likely in the morning winds north 15 to 25 k per hour shifting west to southwest 20 to 30 k an hour in the late morning and early afternoon um and tomorrow it's possible morning shower just looking ahead briefly throughout the whole week again more precipitation looks like every day either chance of rain or showers 16 degrees max tomorrow then 18 then back down to 14 and 15 so we have not left winter behind even though we are officially in the month of september getting back up on friday to 17 degrees saturday 18 degrees still with a little bit of precipitation happening if you're getting out on the water you'll be interested in what's happening with the tides at point lonsdale we had a low tide at about 6 a.m this morning so high tide is going to be a little bit before one o'clock this afternoon Sabo, a couple of quick ones and then we're going to listen to some music. I mentioned this very briefly last week. Um, the Jawbone Marine Sanctuary Care Group are having an event on October 12th uh, and we'll actually speak with them in more detail but it's a uh, it's going to be a public talk uh, for photographers showing images of Jawbone Sanctuary and other marine stuff in Port Phillip Bay. If you're wondering where Jawbone Marine Sanctuary is, it's just off Williamstown. That is. Very close to, well, if you live in Melbourne. Yep. If you're living in Apollo Bay, not so close to you. I haven't been out the Frages. That might be a good chance to go then. I think a good opportunity. I think it, reason. I think it'd be fantastic. Driver. So you can ask questions. You can have a cup of tea. You can go and have a chat to the good people who look after uh, Jawbone Marine Sanctuary Care Group. It's at St Mary's Primary School in Williamstown on October the 12th at 7.30pm. So we're going to put some details for that on our Facebook page and just stay tuned. We'll talk more about that as the, uh, as the date comes up. A uh, bit of bad news, which I uh, wanted to mention last week. Um, Taiji dolphin hunt has begun. Mm -hmm. This is... Uh, something that usually um, occurs in September uh, and I think this story is known well enough now, particularly to Marinara listeners, to, to go into it in great depth. If you want to follow what's going on there, probably the best thing that you can do is to um, hook into Rick O'Barry's um, Facebook page for the group that uh, he's involved with. Um, Australia for Dolphins, we've had them on the program a few times, is also um, obviously front and centre in leading Australia in the campaign against this particular practice. So uh, you could have a look at the Australia for Dolphins website as well, afd.org.au, and uh, we will line up a time very soon to uh, to talk with um, Sarah Lucas, who is their CEO and has been on this program before. She was last year. Mm. <laughs> Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.7 3RRR. And you know where it is. This is Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Welcome, Neil Blake. Good morning. Great to have you in. I'm just going to move your microphone closer to you. Oh, okay. 
There we go. Squeak sound effects. That was me moving forward, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It sounds like the dungeon door opening. That's <laughs> 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 yeah. it is. Hey, before we kick off, we had um, a, a fabulous subscription to Triple R during that track. Catherine um, and Peter Henschel. <laughs> Peter Henschel, also known as Peter Niche, uh, and family who are long-time subscribers to Triple R uh, and to Radio Marinara. Thank you very much. And um, they've requested a fish name, which we're very happy to supply. And, Neil, we thought we'd give you the honours to choose a fish name for them. Well, there's one poor little fishy that's still waiting to be uh, have the honour of being somebody's uh, little jewel, and that's the Pearl Danio. Yeah, you are the Pearl Danio, Catherine and Peter and Charlotte and Olivia. Hey, girls. Hope you enjoy that one. Little zebra fish, apparently. Oh, very sweet. Mm. Neil, great to have you in. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's been a uh, uh, lot going on over the last few months. So um, it's a bit of, I've got copious notes, as you can see, to sort of uh, try and keep track of it all. But Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's uh, good to be here. Where do you want to start? Because we've got three things. We were talking about your, your sandy surveys and um, Coast to Coast and the Marine Coastal Act. Where yeah, would you well, like I, to kick I off? I thought the Coast to Coast is a probably good st- uh, starting point because it was a very big picture and uh, people from all around Australia are at the MCG, not just to see the footy. They actually come down and talk about coast and all sorts of things going on. Uh, but uh, my observation was there was a major focus on climate change risk and uh, that was something that seemed to be... Uh, uh, in the minds of practically all people who are present, regardless of whatever else they might be interested in. And so, that, yeah, that was very um, uh, interesting to see that uh, there's real concern from coastal managers around the country and, uh, and the risks that are associated with that. And there was quite a number of presentations about tools and resources that are available to, to track climate change and also to manage it and adapt to it. Did anything come out of it? Well, that was one of the good <laughs> questions, really. I mean, there was a little bit of angst that I detected in the air towards the, on the closing day of, of the conference that there wasn't a statement, a specific statement that was made uh, to, to send to the government, mm. uh, particularly about climate change, and that was something that... Uh, was perhaps uh, a little bit of a, uh, a shortcoming. Uh, coast to coast happens, I think, every couple of years. So that's right. Yeah. Maybe maybe an opportunity to pick this one up at the next one. And a lot happens in a couple of years too. A yes, lot can right. happen in a couple yeah. of years. But you're right. A very um, big opportunity for a powerful statement to be made because people who attend coast to coast tend to largely be coastal managers and obviously there are fabulous people like yourself who go in and, and represent community interests as well. Mm. But there are a lot of um, a lot of coastal managers there, so a big opportunity to, to galvanise. That's right. I mean, a lot of the concerns around climate change and coastal risk are, are to do with um, loss of beaches and uh, amenity, I suppose, but also infrastructure and property. So uh, that, that takes precedence over sort of natural uh, values, but mm. uh, in, in, in the minds of those sort of people that's that's their brief mm. and uh there was um, a representative from the uh, minister's office or the federal government who attended the last session and uh, uh it was picked up in the discussion that um, there should be some kind of message uh, a statement made from the conference but uh, at least that person was there to hear the angst anyway there's always um there's always room for improvement at the next one that's right yeah yep. so it takes a bit of preparation though. any other highlights for you did you get involved in the there was a workshop specifically for community That's right. Interest, uh, the first it? day um, was, was not part of the conference proper, but it was devoted to a, uh, a citizen science workshop, which Mark Rodrigue uh, pulled together with a number of other people. Uh, Anthony Boxall scrubbed up pretty well there too. He, he uh, was one of the 
the key presenters at the beginning. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was really good. There were eight, eight presenters overall talking about various disciplines and uh, uh, really highlighting, I guess, the, uh, the opportunities for citizen science, particularly if it is uh, keyed into what government uh, management strategies are. Mm. So the, 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 there's great possibilities there. It was very useful. Um, with, with the citizen science, what was what was some of the examples that were put forward for talking about these great opportunities? Uh, well, um, I've talked about my stuff, obviously, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things that. Um, I talk particularly having just uh, come off the back of the 30-year celebration of the St Kilda Penguin study, which actually was not initiated by uh, government. It was actually a community-led uh, a study, which still continues to this day, and, and did actually successfully influence government policy in that we managed to get the St Kilda Breakwater uh, declared a cooperative management area for wildlife. So that was a good I- example of uh, the sort of stuff that... Um, can actually uh, help to put things on the agenda. Indeed, that is it's a fantastic uh, example. Another good one, though, was uh, the Red Map program, which is a range extension database that's uh, initiated in Tasmania, and uh, that's uh, where people can send in uh, photographs of species that are not ordinarily found in the area where they found them. So that's a, that's a really good way of tracking uh, species that are moving as a result of climate change. It is indeed, and really fascinating and uh, important as well. You think about government resources only go so far, and that's always going to be the case. Mm. They're, they're not likely to be paying someone, you know, from the public purse to go out there and look for rare species. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. if you've got people out there who are doing it because that's what they love to do, the opportunity to send that information through, mm. yeah, really Yeah, so important. it's worth a, worth a look. A, a Google search for Red Map is uh, really uh, interesting to So there's Red Map and there's Reef Map as well, I was aware of. So yeah. re- Reef Map is where people, yeah, sense this. So people, divers, we talked about this on the show, I think, about a month or so uh, ago. And that, yeah, a reef watch, is it? Or a reef watch. Yeah. I thought it was reef, mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it's going to be hard for people to Google it if we can't remember yeah. it. I yeah, can't remember it's, the reef, name. it's reef watch. Reef watch, okay, yep. yeah. And there's, so there's red map and there's reef watch. That's right, but right. red map specifically is interested in species that are beyond or outside of their normal range. So they've actually got a, a list of species that uh, are, are of interest. And uh, so and quite a number of fish species, but also urchins and uh, uh, and algae too. They're interested in um, whether or not Noctilucus scintillans is found in, as observed in Tasmania, for example, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yes. And so red, of course, picking up from the IUCN list of threatened species, that's where the red comes in. That's, well, that's their, they call it their red list, I think. So it's a list of threatened species. Yeah, oh, well, it's, it's known as a range extension database. Okay. So I think that's Oh, there you go. Maybe, maybe double meaning there. Yeah. yeah. No, they don't necessarily have to be uh, threatened species, yeah. but just species that are out where they normally are not been observed. Let's move on. Okay. A couple of other things you wanted to talk about. Yeah, what do you want to, where, where should we go next? Well, I guess the um, <coughs> the marine, the new Marine and Coastal Act, obviously, is, is a big um, one that's on on the agenda at the moment. And it's interesting to see the state government has actually um, got discussions of this nature happening, as well as the the Yarra River Act, which is also um, uh, sort of uh, bubbling away in, in in the background. And that, so there are there are some. Um, legislative changes that are due to be brought about to look after waterways, which uh, is, uh, is a good thing to see. So there is a focus. Given the, um, the Yarra and the Bay 
clearly connect. Are these two acts going to connect as well? Have you noticed that even the consultation processes, are they speaking to each other? Is the legislation development speaking to each other or are these two new acts of parliament kind of ticking along independently? Oh, I think they're sort of ticking along independently, to be honest. I haven't seen any, any obvious connection be- between the two, so mm. uh, I may be wrong, but uh, not to my observation. Let's hope yeah. that occurs then. Yeah, so the, the new uh, Coastal Management Act obviously uh, is aiming really to sort of uh, bring about a more streamlined system and people would be aware that uh, currently we've got uh, three regions of the Victorian coast that are actually covered by uh, uh, management plans or coastal policy strategies Uh, and that's a little bit, you know, it's uh, some of the key policies are not clearly spelt out through those uh, those, um, plans. So uh, there there does need to be perhaps a little bit more... uh, uh, a clearer view and vision of what what we're trying to achieve in the coast. And so that's Is your group making? Are you making a submission? Uh, I'll definitely be making a submission. Yeah. So uh, in fact, um, there's been a little bit of discussion about uh, having a, a gathering at the Port Phillip Echo Centre. Mm-hmm. People are interested in in this particular topic because it's pretty big. There's mm. a lot of there's a lot of detail to cover, and uh, and it's a really important opportunity for people to have their say. That's right. That's twenty third of October is the key date, which is not that far away. That those sort of things tick around pretty quickly, and so uh, we, we've been uh, looking at the possibility of having a, a gathering at the Echo Centre probably before the end of this month. So and when you say the 23rd of October is the key date, that's the close for submissions? That's right, right. yeah. And the Echo Centre, again, is where? Can you remind that's, people where that is? It's in St Kilda Botanical Gardens and you'll find us if you, on the, if you just Google Echo Centre and uh, yeah, it's, not, it's pretty very centrally located, uh, so easy for people to get to. So you haven't chosen a date for this yet, have you, Neil? No, we haven't no. as yet, but right. uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, make it known on, on the website, though. Well, and keep in touch with us, too, because we can get that out there to, right, to everyone right. who's listening to this program. Um, we'll need to wrap it up in just a moment. I know you wanted to talk about the... the I've been calling it the Sandy Survey. Is how, what, what, what's, what's the proper title for it? Well, yeah, Sandy Seabed uh, uh, Mollusk Survey is okay. uh, basically what we've been working on and uh, there's been a species of particular interest that has come up and that's the, uh, the bivalve known as Paphys elongata. Do you know that one, Peter? I don't, know. Okay. Also known as a pippy? Yeah, it's yep. a, well, I don't know, there might be a number of things that could be called pippies, but yeah, it's just a, a very small uh, little bivalve, and uh, it seems to have the ability to um, colonise uh, fairly uh, disturbed beaches. Okay. So areas that are subject to a bit of wave attack, and uh, we're particularly interested with the uh, renourishment of Middle Park Beach, which occurred um, from around about October to January, February of, of uh, last, mm-hmm. and uh, the um, Paffy's Longata was basically back in action on that beach uh, very almost immediately. So uh, it's an interesting one. I, I believe it may have uh, a key role in, uh, apart from um, uh, its sucking up the nutrients, etc., from the from the seabed, but also possibly being in the food chain, uh, at the base of the food chain, which is keeping the St Kilda penguins uh, well-fed. Mm. So uh, they do have a, a larval stage, which is um, 
free-floating, which I think the anchovy population might be keen on. But I don't know. I'd love to find people who have got a more detailed understanding of the life cycle of that particular... So we need a malacologist, a, a, a mollusk expert, someone particularly interested in bivalves right. and pippies. Yeah. Have you approached the museum yet? Not yet, no, but I think uh, that's definitely... Uh, that direction we're heading they'll though. be very excited yeah. and uh, sounds like a good honours project that's for exactly what i was mm. thinking dr beach yeah yeah fourth year student out there so get on the blower exactly not here <laughs> contact neil oh, no, wait, no, no, contact we have a ring here we can hook you up yeah well, i'd love to to meet up with anything we're actually doing surveys um of this nature with as part of our regeneration program which is for young people to get involved in uh, citizen science on coastal stuff and yeah i think there's definitely a few phds waiting to happen on that one fantastic thank you neil my pleasure we're going to move on but um yeah we've got you in the studio in the next few weeks so we'll mm. find out how this this has traveled in particular yep. and uh and also catch up on where things are at with um with your role and uh with contributions to the marine coastal act Great. Consul- consultation process yeah excellent much. thanks neil right been speaking with Neil Blake, Port Phillip Bay Keeper. Are you, are you, do you look after Western Port as well? No, no. Not yet? A, uh, the bay is big enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, without further ado, we're going to cross to Mackay in uh, northern Queensland to speak with AJ uh, to talk about the great Blegowry Sponge Transplant Project. Good morning, AJ. Good morning, Bron. How are we? Well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. It's actually pretty warm up here, believe it or not. I was going to say, Mackay's, uh, is it technically northern Queensland? It's not far northern Queensland, is it? It's sort of in that middle bracket. Yeah, pretty much. North Queensland sounds good enough to me, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we have to, oh, I still want to talk to you about Mackay and coastal issues, but we're going to talk about Blegowry. How have mm-hmm. things been tracking? Because I think the last time we caught up with you was our first Radiothon show coming up to about a month ago. So what, what's been happening since then? Lots of progress, which is awesome news. We've um, relocated about seven panel sections so far uh, out of the 22, and uh, we're just honestly really super impressed by the amount of volunteers that are turning up uh, and to help us out. It's been really fantastic. Particularly in uh, early spring too, the weather, the water temperature is still pretty cold. It takes a while for it to start to warm up. Um, seven out of 22, that's fantastic. So you're about a third of the way there. And uh, so... Uh, last time we caught up with you, there was an issue with the bioglue. You were running out. What's, what happened with that? Yes, well, the, uh, the, the initial coral glue that we were using is pretty expensive stuff. And um, <clears throat> so we've been using it sparingly, which um, has turned out to kind of bite us in the bum a little bit because um, we're obviously not using enough on the panel and some of our sponges are starting to break free. So we uh, had a bit of a networking session down here in, or down in Melbourne and we've managed to find the exact kind of same glue for a better price, and um, which means we can get more. So we can use more. So we're going to really reduce our um, detachment issues moving forward. So we're very excited about that. And we should get about 50 litres, I believe, next week, thanks to uh, the amazing people that have been contributing to the crowdfunding page. So well done, guys. We've got heaps of glue. <laughs> Is this enough to see you through, or do you still need some more support, AJ? Um, oh, that's pretty much going to cover most of the um, the panel sections and the relocations moving forward, which is fantastic. That's a huge achievement for the project because that was the biggest cost issue. Um, 
Now, any of the other funding that's still going to come through is going to cover all the materials costs, all the bungee straps and all the secondary restraints that we're going to be putting on and changing and implementing moving forward. So everyone's done a massive job there and, and it's really helped and we can actually really fulfil this project and see it right through to the end. And what about in terms of volunteers, divers to actually go down there and help you with the work you need to do? And of course, you can also volunteer and do land-based support work. How are you off for diving support? Are you still kind of looking for people? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's welcome to come down, whether they're a diver or not. Uh, you can contribute underwater or on the surface. We need help moving the uh, harvesting crates and uh, arranging the divers in and out of the water and uh, giving people keys and helping them in and out of the gates and carting gear. So anyone and everyone can come along, especially with the school holidays coming up. You're welcome to bring the kids down and um, you know, if we've got a moment, we can sit there and have a chat and tell the kids what we're doing at the same time. Um, we're also running a, um, a kids' holiday program there on this upcoming Monday so the kids can actually have a chance to view it via live dive and get uh, involved in some activities. So if anyone just interested in that, they're uh, welcome to contact me and I can share some information. Fantastic. What's the best way people can get in touch with you, um, AJ? Is it via the dive to you website? Yeah, dive at com. You can email me through there or the Facebook page, uh, Operation Sponge Facebook page, and our marine science program is called Dive Science. So you can access that if you'd like, but uh, it's purely just based on Operation Sponge, giving the kids a chance to really connect with it at the same time and grow up with it. Fantastic. Hey, it's been awesome to catch up with you. Um, next week, uh, I won't be here, but uh, our good Dr Beach will be. With Dr Surf, certainly will be. So should we um, perhaps another con- quick chat next Sunday, AJ? See how things oh, are going. That, sound, that sounds great. How are you, buddy? Very well, and you? Yeah, good, thank you. <laughs> I, I just want to chuck it out. Fantastic. I, I, it's fantastic. This, not only for the sponges that you're doing this translocation, but it's you know, it's a really beautiful educational thing for the, you know, and what you're doing for families and get people down there active, involved. They know what's happening. And like Neil, who's sitting here in the studio with us, you guys are just the best. And, and uh, I'll make sure I get down at the end of the school holidays, AJ. I'm, I'm heading up to um, South Coast, New South Wales as soon as this program's finished. You'll see my, my chair spinning and I'll be out the studio and in the car and, and heading up the coast. But um, as, soon as, as soon as I get back from that, um, I'll make sure I come down and, um, and bring the squids down there and, and check it all out because it sounds fantastic. Yeah, more than welcome, Brian. Look forward to having you down there, mate. Yeah, I look forward to being there. All right, good luck. And um, we'll, again, continue to put your details on our Facebook page. Um, people can just do a quick search. It's easy to find them. And, um, yeah, Dr Beach, will catch you next week. Yo. Yeah, good on you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no worries. Bye, Very AJ. Say leave. hi to Mackay for bye, us. Bye, guys. <laughs> See you. <laughs> I will. Cheers. <laughs> See you. Bye for now. AJ from Dive to You. Amazing work they're doing. It is. It's, it's they cool. They're ploughing through. They're a third of the way through. So, yeah. I was about to ask him how's it going with the glue, but he... Um, he told us anyway, but yes. that's a good story that some people have been chucking in money and they've been able to get more of that pretty expensive super glue. Yeah, indeed. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Indeed, you are listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. The time is coming up to 20 minutes to 10. Now, the, Enviro- uh, the Australian Environmental Film Festival kicks off in Melbourne on the 29th of September. One of the headline films is Sonic Sea, a fantastic documentary about the very real and all too often devastating impact of human-made noise on the animals that live underwater and depend on their hearing to survive. So with great pleasure, we now cross to Santa Monica, California, to speak with Sonic Sea's co-producer and director, Dan Heinefeld about this incredible film and its potential to drive global change. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. I should say good afternoon your time. 
That's right. It's Saturday afternoon here. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Triple R. Welcome to Radio Marinara. We're, we're the program about all things wet and salty here in Melbourne, uh, about the marine and coastal environments. Fabulous to have you here. Um, first up, congratulations to you and to your co-director and co-producer, Michelle Doherty. It's a magnificent documentary. Um, Dr Beach, who's with me here, and I both watched it yesterday. Hi, Dan. Yeah, I'm... I'm Someone who hides under the name of Dr. Beach on air. <laughs> but, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Well, I'm glad you guys watched it and glad you enjoyed it. Thanks oh, so much. It's amazing. Um, we should also mention Sonic Sea's already taken out four awards so far at various film festivals, and we're guessing um, many more to come. So winner of the Jury Award at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival this year, winner of the John DeGraff Environmental Filmmaking Award at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, winner of the Environmental Award at the San Francisco International Ocean Film Festival, and winner of the Stan Waterman Award at Princeton Environmental Film Festival. So uh, congratulations on all those awards so far. Um, was it something that you and Michelle wanted to make for a long time or uh, you know, have you recently become aware of problems with human-made underwater sound or is it something that you've been wanting to, to look at for a long time? Yeah, you know, this was a movie a long time in the making. Um, I work at a big NGO in the United States called Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC, and, you know, my job has basically been to make uh, documentary films about little-known but really important environmental issues, and this is one that our organization and others around the world have been working on for over 20 years. It really started to become clear to uh, biologists and environmental activists, uh, you know, at least 30 years ago that there was something strange going on, for instance, uh, with Navy sonar, which is what, you know, modern navies use to detect targets underwater, principally submarines and mines. And what we were seeing was in the aftermath of sonar uh, training exercises, there would often be dead whales on the beach or other, other marine mammals. And that was sort of the first clue uh, to a lot of people that... Um, sound, particularly loud sounds, uh, man-made sounds in, in the ocean, can have really destructive impacts. And so it's an area of work that uh, my organization has been engaged in really trying to get a handle on some of these sources of sound. The Navy is one of them, but there are also, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry makes an enormous amount of noise hunting for oil, which it also, you know, uses sound to do to sort of map uh, fossil fuel deposits beneath the ocean floor. And Frankly, the biggest, uh, most pervasive source of noise is just heavy shipping. So, um, you know, there are all sorts of impacts, both acute impacts, you know, dead animals on the beach, and chronic ones that really have um, tremendous impact on the prosperity of populations and their ability to survive, ultimately. So, you know, there's a lot to do to get a handle on this problem. Dan, it's, um, it, it truly is a disturbing film. As I watched it, I, find, I found myself getting quite upset. Could you take us through one example that I found particularly disturbing, as I said, and that was the, the, what happened off the Bahamas? And this right. is where the film starts? Yeah, yep. as the film commences. Yeah, the, the film starts with a, a really kind of chilling cold open with a guy named Ken Balcom, a former U.S. Navy officer, a flyer, and an acoustics expert. And he's just telling a story about something that happened uh, that he witnessed on the beach in the Bahamas uh, in 2000 when he was leading a group of uh, whale watchers, basically. They wanted to see some of the uh, beaked whales that, are, that live in that area that are very elusive because they're deep-diving whales. And he was getting ready with a group, um, you know, in his house on the beach when his assistant came running in and said, Ken, there's a, there's a beaked whale on the beach outside. And they all went outside to see, and sure enough, there was a stranded whale 
um, that was kind of confused. It was it was kind of sort of uh, just able to swim in a couple feet of water, and um, they tried to redirect it and tried to push it back out to sea, and it went out a little bit, and then it came back in. And as they were working with this whale, a neighbor came down and said, "There's another whale, uh, you know, 300 uh, yards up the beach," and uh, then another, and then another, and by the end of the day, they had discovered uh, 16 uh, dead. Uh, whales on the beach and you know it was devastating to Ken a guy who had you know dedicated his life after the military to um, scientific research on marine mammals and as he says in the film you know these were animals he'd known for 10 years and they were they were all now dead on the beach and you know that that's sort of the the tragic mystery that starts the film and you know one of the threads that runs through the film is, is the sort of detective work that that ken and others did to figure out what was going on there's quite a lot of uh there's a, a big range of um cetacean scientists and other senior people in marine mammal protection um senior advocates and figureheads like sylvia earl sylvia's been a guest on our program a few times over the years um are these people all known to each other dan do you all know each other and are you all quite connected yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty tight community. I mean, you know, Ken Balcom and Sylvia Earle uh, in the film, you know, know each other. Christopher Clark at Cornell University is another very important um, scientist in, in the film. Uh, he knows the two of them. Um, I mean, they, they work really uh, closely together. They share information. They, sh- they share sources. And um, so, in a sense, yeah, it was almost like a, a, a big family kind of you know, participating in the film. You tend to find that these big events draw people together and, and we've noticed that with this film's kind of really resonating um, bringing back some memories of uh, when we interviewed Louisa Hoyest and that was at the time that the, the Cove was only just kind of breaking it at various environmental film festivals and of course went on to have massive global impacts and likewise um, Blackfish with Gabriella Cowperthwaite. You, you tend to find that these sorts of events do bring people together, these sorts of issues and, and we noticed that too. Interesting um, for me was uh, Sting's Involvement and his role in this particular story, linking back to his childhood. How, how did you come across Sting? Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. We're so happy that Sting is in the film. You know, when we were, uh, Michelle and I were really kind of beginning the planning of this film, we thought it would be great if we had uh, a really you know, kind of a sophisticated musician, somebody really well known, who could philosophize a little bit about the importance of the sonic world to people as well as to animals because you know what this film is about let me just take a step back for a second i mean what the film is really about is that the ocean is principally an acoustic environment not a visual environment light only travels you know one or two or three hundred feet in in the ocean but um sound travels thousands of kilometers and so that means that everything in the ocean has evolved uh for you know eons to favor hearing over seeing and the ability to make sound over the ability to communicate in other ways and so um that that kind of focus on sound and the ability to sort of bridge the gap with our audience to sort of connect our world of sound with you know whales world of sound was something that we thought you know really um kind of brilliant musician like Sting might be able to do. And we reached out to him and he was just very interested in it. I mean, he, you know, he's an environmentalist, as you know, and um, and he was intrigued and, and agreed to sit down with us and learn a little bit first about 
you know, sound in the ocean and, and the impact on whales, and then kind of just talk about it and reflect on it. And of course, the added bonus was we we did this interview when his um, musical, The Last Ship, was on Broadway, and that of course, you know, made us aware of his and you know history uh, growing up in the north of England in a shipbuilding town, and so his interview is sort of intriguing in in. Sonic Sea, it's sort of the segue, or his, his first appearance in the film, anyway, is, is sort of the segue into the whole discussion of noise from ships. And he just does it brilliantly because it, it's, some, it's an experience that he lived as a young man, a boy and young man. And Dan, something you do brilliantly in that movie is, is represent for people, not only orally but visually, what the sound is like under the sea with these fantastic graphics and demonstrating how much sea traffic there is and how that's been a burgeoning thing for the you know the past several decades you know 100 years well you know 50 years and it's just it's just intense how terrible it must be for the creatures who have such sensitive ears under the water can you kind of talk to that a little bit yeah absolutely you know we we we, uh the film tries to represent sound um, visually, as you as you just mentioned, as well as as orally, and yeah, we do that with some really beautiful graphics that Michelle was involved in. Uh, my co-director was involved in in creating with her team, um, and uh, but also with a really rich sound design. And so the the movie really tries to immerse the audience in an undersea world in 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 a sonic sense. And, um, you know, one of the things that we wrestled with making the film is that, you know, the the film is first about the the beautiful sounds that these sea creatures use to communicate and to hunt and to navigate. Um, But it's also about these terrible sounds that we're injecting into the ocean. And in early cuts of the film... Um, you know, long before we were done, what we were, what we found was that the sound design was giving us a headache. It was just, it was too much to bear. I, I remember actually one transcontinental flight. I was flying back to Los Angeles from New York, and I was working on the film on the plane, wearing headphones. And at a certain point, I just had to rip the headphones off. I could not stand listening to it. And we kind of sat down and talked with our sound designer at that point and said, we really have to figure out another way of doing this because we're going to drive people right out of the theater. And so, you know, we we did you know really three whole passes on the sound design and the where it finally ended up. I, I'm curious to know what you think, but I think it's a good balance where it's sort of showing you in very brief moments how intense and and, and insulting some of these sounds are, but it's not uh, doing it enough that it that it's turning you off to the film. Indeed, and, and that, that example, I think, of British Columbia with the orca watch, um, how they were measuring that, well, listening to the orcas underwater, and then you could hear this tourist boat, this, this cruise liner come around the corner. It was just like... It's hard for me to represent it now, but it was intense. Yeah, it's a point that one of the um, research assistants, and I didn't note her name down, but it's a point that she made when she took her headphones off and she said it's this is it's a real kind of turning point in the film when you realise that, that these animals can't take their headphones off, they can't put earplugs in, they can't get away from this incredibly distressful noise. And it's, it's like having a, a car alarm constantly going off in your head and not being able to do anything about it. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's nowhere to go now in our oceans where uh, these great uh, magnificent animals are not exposed to intense noises that really interfere with a lot of their essential biological you know, business, so to speak. And, um, you know, it's the, the no you know, a big ship, a big uh, cargo ship or a tanker puts out about 190 decibels. And a lot of that noise is from the what's called cavitation. That's a term people are probably familiar with if they've seen, you know, submarine movies. And, um, you know, the sonar operator on the sub or on the ship will say, I hear the ship cavitating. That, and what that is is the, the bubbles, the creation and bursting of bubbles uh, from the propeller. That is actually the biggest source of noise from these ships. It's an intense hissing noise. And there are, you know, at any given moment, about 60,000 big commercial ships on the water at any given time. And what that means is that the whole ocean uh, is just filled with this this sort of um, background hiss that, that um, kind of obscures a lot of the communication that these animals need increasingly. And what we're seeing over time, over the passage of time, is we have more ships on the water and other sources of sound, like seismic exploration for fossil fuels, is that this, the sound, the ambient noise that in the ocean is doubling every decade. And so we've got to do something to stop that. I mean, if we let that happen for another 10 or 20 years, we know for a fact that we're going to drive some species to extinction um, simply because of the sound that we're making and, and, and harm millions and millions more. So um, it's really a problem that we need to address. And I think that one of the hopeful things about the film is that there are solutions here. Um, you know, we can quiet ships, navies and researchers have for years been using um, technologies to quiet their ships because it serves their purposes, right? Navies want to be stealthy. Researchers want to get out on the water without disturbing the animals that they're studying. And so you can, with you know, good technology, reduce the sound that a ship puts in the water by 90%. So, you know, that's something that, that we really need to st begin pressuring the shipping industry to do. And there, are, thankfully, are some enlightened people in the shipping industry who are beginning to do that on their own. That's great. Um, my organization and some other uh, nonprofits have been for years now suing the U.S. Navy over its use of sonar. And we've gotten to an interesting place with them recently. We won a case against the Navy uh, in federal court in Hawaii last year that led to a settlement that has put off limits very large portions of the Pacific Ocean for peacetime testing and training with sonar. And you know, what it's done is identified areas that are very rich in, uh, particularly in marine mammal uh, life, and just said, you know, the navy, the navy has agreed not to use its sonar in those areas in, during peacetime. So that's real progress. The oil industry, you know, here's what the oil industry does, and it, it makes so much noise because it, to to find oil and gas deposits beneath the ocean floor, what they do is they drag air guns behind ships. And these air guns explode every roughly 10 seconds. And they're extraordinarily loud. I mean, they're basically the loudest noise humans can make short of setting off 
high explosives. And uh, they go back and forth for weeks at a time, creating these detailed maps of fossil fuel deposits. And, you know, this is something that's so destructive. I mean, fishermen uh, say that it just wipes out fish stocks, that there's nothing left after they do this, and scientists confirm this. Unfortunately, the oil industry is not so interested in addressing this problem. It really kind of needs to be uh, led to those solutions with with carrots and sticks, and maybe more sticks than carrots. <laughs> and so, you know, we and other groups have, been, have repeatedly sued the oil industry over its offshore you know, drilling and exploration activities. And there are some technologies there that, that may, in the near future, really significantly reduce the amount of noise that they're making uh, looking for oil. And of course, the best solution is if they'd stop looking for oil altogether offshore. It's That's so, right. so destructive. Dan, we're going to have to leave it on that note because uh, we've got another program lining up to come in. But I think it's a really good note to end it on in terms of hope as well. Good luck with the film as it travels around the world. It's screening uh, Friday, September 30th at ACME as part of the Environmental Film Festival Australia. Um, best way for people in Melbourne to get tickets to that is to have a look at the uh, Environmental Film Festival website, effa.org.au. Uh, all the very best of luck, Dan. We're really looking forward to seeing where this film goes and the sorts of impacts it's going to have. Thank you so much for supporting the film. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, thanks for joining us. Okay, take care. Okay, bye for now. It was Dan Heinefeld, who is one of the producers and directors of Sonic Sea. We'll put the links to uh, those, the, uh, to the film details on our webpage. Hello, this is Kid Congo Powers from Kid Congo and the Pink Monkey Birds. Please keep independent radio independent for one, weird for another, and an amazing just to throw it in there. The jewel in the junk heap. The jewel in the junk heap, indeed. Hey, we're rapidly running out of time, Dr. Beach. We've got about two minutes to go. <laughs> Very quick plug for an event happening next Saturday, 24th of September at Seaworks in Williamstown. You would have heard Elle Hooper on Vital Bits last week. She is headlining, along with Dream on Dreamer Tripod and a whole bunch of other uh, artists and entertainers. So this is the Ocean Defence Tour. It's the big fundraiser for Sea Shepherd as they're going down there to uh, defend potential oil and gas exploration in the Great Australian Bight, as well as a whole lot of other amazing work that they're doing. Uh, just get down there to Seaworks. Um, you can also buy tickets. Uh, best thing to do is to check out seashepherd.org.au and you can get all the details on their Facebook page, um, their Facebook page as well. And next week I'll be in the studio with Dr. Surf and I will indeed talk about that the blob off the California coast that is an interesting thing, but we had more fun talking to, to Daniel about that film Sonic Sea today. Indeed. So Dan Heinefeld, uh, who was uh, speaking with us, you can go and check out Sonic Sea at Acme, as I mentioned, and we will put those details on our Facebook page. Thanks also to uh, AJ from Dive to You and also uh, Neil Blake. It's been a jam-packed show. Hey, uh, have a good week, Dr. Beach. I shall. Have you fun. With, don't, don't tear up the studio too much next week with Dr. Surf. Oh, we'll be fine. I know I how you guys think. will be fine. <laughs> Thanks heaps to Nerida. Um, Panelling, writing panel for us today. Thanks to Kent, juggling the phones and a whole bunch of other stuff in the green room. He is our rock. And stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Uh, who's out there? Dr. Malice? Dr. Mal. Dr. Mal. This has been a podcast uh, from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.